appreciate you again this evening, and I'm so very thankful that you're here as well. As I said last night, that those who were here last night, it was evident to me that you were people who had a love for the Lord and a love for the truth, because you certainly could have been somewhere else, and that is also true tonight, on the day that uh, many football games are being played that many people are interested in. Tonight you're sitting here coming to hear gospel preaching, and I appreciate that so very much. It's such an encouragement to me, and it's an encouragement to each person that's here in this room tonight. Thank you for being here, and I am thankful that I can be here in your midst as well. I've had the opportunity to spend some time with Austin and Olivia and with the elders and their wives and some of the others uh, this morning and at uh, dinner tonight, and I enjoyed that very much, and I appreciate very much the time that we've been able to spend together, get to know one another a little bit more, and Look forward to that even some more as we go throughout the weekend. And I, I just uh, am really been encouraged uh, by the kindness and the goodness that you've shown to me. Let me ask you to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. We'll take our first reading from there shortly, John chapter 8. What we're doing this weekend as we're, we're talking about remaining godly in, in a world where culture is trying to dominate the discussion, as Austin alluded to earlier. And as we pointed out several times last night, when it comes to the way we live our lives and the decisions that we make and the actions that we take, we want Jesus to dominate that discussion. He must be the most important one. But culture is a strong thing because we're getting bombarded with it from all sides, and Satan is using it as a very effective tool of his. And we talked about last night how that societal culture is very strong and a very influential agent. We talked about three areas of how that Culture is really dominating the discussion in a lot of ways. and We need to be aware of that on the outside. But you know what, brethren? Unfortunately, in a world where culture dominates the discussion, all too often there are times when there are cultures that are built even within the brotherhood to try to give people the opportunity to have their cake, if you will, and to be able to eat it too. And tonight I'm going to speak with you from that realm. You know, the, the things we talked about last night are things that are of dire importance for us to understand. The idea of the homosexual issue and the fornication is always an issue that we need to understand and have on our minds. The gender neutrality issue is something that we're having to deal with on a more higher scale now because that agenda is being pushed even more. But something else that's always been on the burner there and is being pushed even more so as well in our day is the marriage, divorce, and remarriage issue. And in our culture, there's this idea to where, well, you know what? If you want to get married, get married. And you know what? If you don't like it, you know what you can do? You can just get a divorce and just try another one out. You know, there's really nothing to it. We do it all the time. Do you know that the divorce rate in the United States of America right now is 50%? Half of all marriages end in divorce right now. So there's a culture in our society that says, you know what, if you don't want to be married and you are married, just get divorced. It's okay. And that culture is so strong that it pushes into the brotherhood. And in, if the brotherhood allows the culture to dictate the way it thinks and the way it acts, then eventually it will be trying to find itself a loophole so they can have their cake and eat it too. And brethren, that's what we're dealing with in a lot of ways right now. One area especially. 
there are some in the brotherhood right now who are very influential people, have been teachers for a long time, have held some very influential positions, who are teaching that there is a loophole for those who want to divorce and marry again. They're saying that the position of pornography will allow you to be able to put away a spouse and marry another without adultery. And I'll be more specific about that as we get into the lesson. But it's something that we need to understand. It's something that the, the eldership at Gardendale wanted me to address because it has become an issue. And it's all because of the culture from the outside that the brotherhood has picked this up and said, you know what? We want to have our cake and eat it too. But they're not letting Jesus dominate the discussion. And they're pushing this issue that if you, know, if you have a spouse that's addicted to pornography, then that then is fornication. And if your spouse has, has been addicted to pornography and they've committed fornication, then you can put that person away and marry another and no adultery has been committed. What I want to point out to you tonight is, is that fornication and pornography both are sins. But brethren, please understand that Jesus teaches us that both are not the same. Now with that in mind, let's move forward tonight. And what I need to do is, first of all, take you to Matthew 19 and verse 9. I'm going to have it on the screen, but you can turn to it in your Bibles if you would like to. Matthew 19 and verse 9, I have the King James Version of that text up here because I believe it reads the best in regard to the point that's trying to be made from the passage, or the point that is being made, if you will, from the passage. Jesus says here, and I say to you, whoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. I like the term put away, because it really paints the picture of what's going on here. Sometimes when the word divorce is used, it kind of muddies some things up. But if you've got someone, as Jesus points out here, who puts away a spouse for the cause of fornication, then that person has the right to marry again and that subsequent remarriage not result in adultery. Now, that's the exception. You take away the exception, and the rule is, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commits adultery. That's the rule. And we all need to listen to the rule. But the Lord gives one exception within that rule, and that is that if your spouse commits fornication, then you have the right to put that spouse away and then marry another. Also notice that the fornication comes before the putting away. There has to be a proper order there, and Jesus points that out. You know, we often talk about he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16 and verse 16. And we find denominationalists that get that out of order, and they'll say, he who believes is saved, and then they can be baptized. And we say, no, 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 that's the wrong order. Jesus didn't say that, but you know, so many brethren get this all out of order too, unfortunately. But be consistent. If we're going to be consistent with the scriptures, be consistent with every scripture. And it's the same way with this scripture as well. Jesus here gives one exception and one exception alone for the cause of fornication. Now, what I need to do now with this in mind is I need to define some terms. I'm going to be very explicit in these terms. 
I don't know any other way to do it. Sometimes, brethren, we just have to be explicit when we're talking about things. I'm only going to bring these up on the board one time. If you want to take your phone out and take a picture of them, feel free to. I'm going to be referring back to them. But there's some things I'm going to have to say in here that are going to be somewhat clear and explicit. But I must be to be able to de define exactly what we're talking about tonight. All right? First of all, let's define fornication. The definition of fornication is just this. Illicit sexual intercourse in general. When you read the term fornication in your Bible, or if you're reading from a more modern translation that says sexual immorality, that's what that means, is fornication. The Greek word is pornea. That's the original Greek word. Listen, I don't speak Greek. You probably don't speak Greek. I'm not going to talk to you in Greek terms tonight. I'm going to speak to you in English. But that's what that literal English word springs from is the word pornea. It's the word fornication. The newer translations have taken that. Even my trusty old King James here, New King James, uses the word sexual immorality. And I believe that's just a little bit too broad. Because what people have done today is taken that term sexual immorality and broadened it farther than what the Bible uses the term as. Fornication is very specific, and Jesus is very specific about it. It's just this, illicit sexual intercourse in general. But if I'm going to define fornication and intercourse is involved, then I've got to define intercourse too. I realize that's an explicit definition, but it must be. Intercourse as it's defined in fornication is physical sexual contact between individuals that involves the genitalia of at least one person. Please allow that to sink in and get an understanding of that. That's very important. We have to be able to understand that that's what we're talking about when we're talking about fornication. That's what's involved in that. That's what the term intercourse means as it is defined within fornication. Pornography. How would you define pornography? Well, here's the definition of that. Printed or visual material containing the explicit description or display or sexual organs or activity. That's pornography defined in a nutshell. That's what we're talking about there. Let's just stop right here for a minute. After we've read these three definitions, do any of us believe that the term pornography would fit in the definition of fornication? It just can't fit. Do you see my point from the definition of the terms already? That pornography can't fit into fornication because fornication involves physical sexual contact between two individuals. Pornography is just a printed or visual description of something that we're talking about here. Let me give you one more definition. What about lewdness and lust? Lewdness, lust is defined as unrestrained acts or banners as filthy words, indecent bodily movements, conduct shocking to public decency. Now where would you put pornography? Would you move it up into fornication? Or would you move it down into lewdness and lust? By definition alone, we would have to move it down into the realm of lewdness and lust. Please understand at this juncture, I'm talking about two things that are absolutely sinful. Throughout this lesson, understand, I am not condoning pornography at all. It is a sin. It's the sin of lewdness. 
if I'm committing lewdness or I'm committing fornication, I'm sinning against the God who created me. And that's never good. However, we must define where one sin falls because it is, it is important to the discussion of certain biblical topics. Most importantly, the one we're talking about tonight. So keep these definitions in your mind. They'll be, they'll be brought up as we move along. But as we can see, just from defining terms, the two things are not the same. Now let's be specific. Let's talk about the sin of pornography. First of all, as I pointed out in the definitions, it doesn't fall under the realm of fornication. It cannot. But just by looking at definitions, not enough. Let's look to the scriptures, if we will. To Jesus, first and foremost, John chapter 8. Here what we find in John chapter 8 is Jesus is having one of his many confrontations with the Jews of his day. <laughs> the discussion really here is about their spiritual legitimacy. And Jesus is really bearing down on that. But it turns into a discussion about their physical legitimacy or their, their, uh, their identification as who they are as far as their, their uh, legacy goes. But notice what Jesus has to say picking up in verse 37. Speaking to the Jews, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do, do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Do you see the word there? We were not born of what? Verse 41, fornication. Do you understand how the Jews were using that word right there? The Jews were using that word metaphorically right here. But the point is, is that, oh, you're saying that we're not children of Abraham? Oh, yes, we are too. We weren't born of some illegitimate Sexual relationship. You see how the Jews were using that term? They weren't using that term as looking through the peephole at someone else. That's not how they viewed fornication. They viewed fornication as a physical sexual act between two people that could produce conception, right? That's exactly how they viewed that term in the reading of this passage. You see, the term fornication and or sexual immorality cannot mean any more or any less than what it meant to the Jews of the first century and Jesus himself who was speaking to them. And we see exactly what it meant to them. It meant to them exactly what we described already tonight, didn't it? And anyone using common sense can read that passage and determine that. It's not very hard. There's no physical contact between two individuals when it comes to pornography. But when we're talking about fornication, it's obviously true. Even Jesus and the first century Jews understood that. We weren't born of fornication. They certainly weren't talking about looking at someone naked across the yard. They were talking about physical sexual contact between individuals. But it does fall under, that is the sin of pornography, it does fall under lewdness. Let's look at a biblical example of that as well. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. 
Here, Peter writing to some Christians who are suffering. They're suffering persecution at the hands of unbelievers. And it's tough. And Peter is, is encouraging them to do the will of God and to not go back into the life that they had already walked away from. Brethren, just as a side point right here, let you and I make sure we always do that too. Let's remember who we are, that we should always strive to do the will of God because of what God has done for us and never go back to the life that we've already lived. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, Peter writes, Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in licentiousness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Within that list in verse 3, my Bible, this older New King James Version, uses the term licentiousness. If you're reading from a newer translation of the New King James or the New American Standard, yours may say lewdness. It means the same thing. Different words, same meaning. So Peter's talking about here something that these people once walked in, once lived in. Well, they once lived their lives in all of these things. Lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatry. The word lewdness there, remember we're talking about acts. Unrestrained acts or manners, indecent bodily movements, things that are shocking to public decency. Well, does pornography fit in that? Well, if you know what we've defined there in pornography, we're talking about things that are unrestrained, right? You're talking about unrestrained people doing sexual acts that are obviously shocking to public decency. It just goes beyond the idea of anything that is decent and moral in the mind of any person that has a proper moral compass. We all have to agree with that. So when we're talking about pornography, does it not fall very well into this idea of lewdness? I mean, even the first century Christians were guilty of such type of activity. But he says, don't you go back to doing that again? Let's talk about some other things that are lewd. I think will help us to understand how this falls together. Let me just give you a, an area here of lewdness. And here's some things that would definitely fall in there, right? Stripping. You got someone who has a job, that's a stripper. We've all heard of that, may have known someone who's done that before. Now just think about that. You've got someone who's up on a stage somewhere taking their clothes off, whether it be a male or a female. I think there's clubs that, that are both. And they're taking their clothes off in front of people. Maybe they're in a glass room or on a wide open stage. But there, they're doing those type of things, acts shocking to public decency, unrestrained acts that are against all moral validity, but there's no physical sexual contact between two individuals that involves the genitalia of another. You see my point there? That stripping can't be labeled under fornication because it doesn't fit the definition in defining the word or even seeing the biblical example, but it certainly would fit here under lewdness. What about this? Sexting. I found a hard time. I don't even talk about that. But it's real. 
You have people that pick up their cell phone and they text someone else these sexual discussions they have with one another. I mean, I mean, it's graphic. I mean, it's, it's talking about in words these unrestrained acts that are obviously shocking to public decency. But answer this question. Is there physical contact between two individuals right there of a sexual nature? No, not at all, right? It's not right. <laughs> Don't do it, but it certainly couldn't fall under fornication, but it would have to fall under lewdness. In the same way, you've got phone sex, right? I mean, I think that's just defining the same thing just by picking up the phone and speaking instead of typing the words. But still, you've got the same type of unrestrained acts shocking the public decency that are going on. But it's still not fornication. I hope you're following the path that I'm going here. Because some brethren are having a hard time following the path. So there again, where would pornography fall? Doesn't it fall just right in the same line with these other things where there's no physical contact between two individuals? But at the same time, it's sin. Let me just stop for a minute. Please listen to me, each and every one of you. Pornography is a sin against the God who created you. It's an act of lewdness, and lewdness is sin. And if you're given over to pornography tonight, you need to find some help. You need to get away from that because it's a sin that's going to send you to hell. It'll separate you from God forever, and it's addictive. It's like a drug, or it's just like alcohol. And what you try to do is you find, try to find pleasure in that. You sit and you watch that, and you're watching someone who's working through a script, it's all an act, and you're fantasizing about that, and you're trying to find that in real life, but you can't find it, and then you're miserable. Because what you watch on TV, on your phone, or whatever, is not happening in real life. And you're looking for it, and you can't find it, and the only way you can find the high is to go back to the screen. And the screen is just warping your mind. And you're going back to a problem to try to fix the problem, and it's doing nothing but making you worse and worse and worse and worse. And Satan is using you to the fullest. Get away from pornography. It's a sin. And it's wrong. And I'm not advocating it or condemning it tonight. I am just saying we're talking about two different things when we talk about these things. It's a separate sin than fornication. That's the point I want you to take from this point. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible shows us that we're talking about two separate things. Someone will say to me, if I was at home, because I tell brethren at home all the time, now listen, sin is sin. Stop categorizing your sins, trying to say one sin is greater than the other. And someone come up to me when I preach this back home, and I went, now, hold on a minute, didn't you say we couldn't categorize sins? I'm not categorizing sins. All I'm saying is, is that God has made a distinction in between sins at times because these certain sins deal with a certain biblical issue as we're talking about tonight. Ephesians chapter 5 is one of those sections, again, where Paul is writing, as Peter was back in 1 Peter chapter 4, and Telling these Christians, don't go back to where you came from. No, your best life is where you are right now in Christ. But he reminds them of where they have been and where they are now. Look at chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, Paul writes, be followers of God as dear children and walk in love 
as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Listen to verse 5. For this you know that no fornicator, comma, unclean person, comma, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Hone in on verse 5. My translation has fornicator, comma, unclean person. The term unclean person just means someone who is morally lewd. Someone who's given over to lewdness. But did you see how the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Paul, made a distinction between the fornicator and the morally lewd person? One person was given over to fornication. Another person was given over to lewdness. Two separate sins that the Holy Spirit points out distinctively are separate. Both sin, but both are not the same things. Everyone follow that? There's a passage in the Scripture that certainly shows us we're talking about something that's separate and apart here, but both are sin. I know someone's thinking. You've already seen the passage up there. What about Matthew 5 and verse 28? Well, let's just turn over there. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28. A couple of months ago, I was up in Jackson, Tennessee, holding a gospel meeting back in the middle of August. And during the day, I was studying over some things, preparing for when I get back, got back home. My phone rang. It was my wife's first cousin. I knew she was going through a divorce. She hasn't talked to me a whole lot about that. She talked to me about it on the front end. And I warned her not to get married because the situation wasn't good. She had gotten pregnant, and she called me one day to tell me that and asked me if I would perform her wedding because she wanted to get married, and I said, no. I said, why are you getting married? Because you're pregnant? I said, that's not a reason to get married. You get married because you love someone and you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, not because you just got pregnant and now you think you have to. And I said, I don't think you're ready to get married. I'm not going to do that. I want to try to ask you to wait and to see this thing farther through a little bit more. She didn't do that. I told her I was afraid in a year it would end in divorce. Guess what? I was a prophet on that and I didn't know it. And I'm not a prophet, but I wasn't wrong about that. So my phone rings back in August. You know what her question was to me? Can I put my husband away if he's addicted to pornography? She was being counseled by a sister, a very influential sister, who counsels a lot of people in this regard, who was telling her that she could put her husband away because he was addicted to pornography, and she gave her this passage right here. What passage is that? Matthew 5. In a section on the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus has been saying, you have heard it said, but I say. He says the same thing at verse 27 of chapter 5 you have heard it that it was said to those of old you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart and she said well there you go Jason there's my passage 
He's been looking at other women and lusting after them. He's committed adultery, and I can put him away for that cause. I said, that's not what Jesus said. I said, I didn't read in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9, nor in 532, where Jesus said one can put away their spouse for the cause of lust in the heart. I didn't read that. I asked her, did you read that? Well, she didn't say anything. I said, we need to back up. What we need to do is we need to study. Because what we have going on here is something that's not going on in the flesh. Remember what fornication is? Fornication is an illicit sexual act that involves the intercourse of two individuals that involves at least the genitalia of one of those people. That's what fornication is. That is in the flesh, brethren. That is certainly not what Jesus was talking about here. Please understand this. That this adultery that's going on in the heart here, that ain't a good thing. If I can say that, I'm a guy from Alabama, I think I can say ain't every once in a while. As for point of emphasis, what Jesus is saying is if you are one of these people who...